Hi, I want to tell you about a white paper that's been published by Value Capture. It's titled Pursuing Habitual Excellence, Sutter Health. So in the paper, uh, it talks about how Sutter Health designed a new primary care process and encourages learning, experimentation, and continuous improvement. To download the free white paper, you can go to www.valuecapturellc.com slash Sutter. That's S-U-T-T-E-R. Welcome to Habitual Excellence, presented by Value Capture. This podcast in our firm is all about helping you and your organization achieve habitual excellence via one unifying focus, one value-based structure, and one performance system. In other words, it's about helping you capture dramatically more value through achieving perfect care and perfect safety for patients and staff. To learn more about Value Capture and our services, visit www.valuecapturellc.com. Welcome to Habitual Excellence. I'm Mark Graben from Value Capture, and we're joined today by Dr. Lisa Yarian. Lisa, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Mark. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's um, it's great to have you here and, and have you share some thoughts with the audience, but maybe first, if you can introduce yourself, tell everyone a little bit about your work and your background. Uh, Thank you, happy to be here. Um, So I am the Chief Improvement Officer at the Cleveland Clinic. I've been a physician practicing at the Cleveland Clinic for about 16 years now. Um, I'm a surgical pathologist, so I specialize in the diagnosis of diseases of the liver and the biliary tree. I also do work in the gastrointestinal tract, and that's really diagnostic work. Um, and I've been practicing that for 16 years. About maybe 12 years ago, I got interested in process improvement, continuous improvement, lean thinking, and have started had at that point started to work with the central team that had been established at the Cleveland Clinic. And then over time became the medical director of that team and then ultimately the chief improvement officer. It was a newly created role that we created last year. Yeah, I was going to say that's a title, um, a, a position that a lot that probably most healthcare organizations don't have a chief improvement officer. So how how do you define how how are the boundaries and responsibilities of that role defined? Uh, well, I'd say that because it's a new role, we're still defining it. Mm-hmm. But over the time, over the last ten years, when we've really been talking and working on continuous improvement, I think what the organization began to, began to recognize is the potential value for applying continuous improvement methodologies broadly across our organization. And if you think about how we do that, where we do that, when we do that, we really see that as everybody's responsibility. So Mark, I know you and I've talked in the past about our big push in our 2012 A3 to create a culture of improvement or every caregiver um, engaged in improvements every day. I really see my role as a steward and a shepherd to help ensure that that happens. So getting more and more caregivers involved in improvement and making us all much more effective in leveraging improvement methodologies. A lot of my work currently and over recent years has been with our leadership, uh, largely our executive leaders, but all of our senior leaders to say, how do we as leaders leverage continuous improvement in the most effective way? How do we practice it ourselves? How do we help develop the capability in the rest of our organization to be able to practice it very effectively, really to, to deliver you know, as well as we can on our mission? Yeah. And, and part of that mission, and, and there's a long history 
with this at um, Cleveland Clinic. And when I've had a chance to visit, you see literally, you know, on the walls and all over place, this phrase, patients first, which seems like a really important foundation for improvement work. I was wondering if you could talk to us about patients first. I mean, is that is that a mindset? Is it what? What? How? How would you describe that um, before kind of diving into what that means? Good question. Um, I'm not sure we have a title for it, but I typically describe it as a mantra. Um, it's something that's constantly present for us. You'll hear it come up in conversations, as you said. It's painted on the walls. It's on, you know, buttons and name tags, and it's kind of all over the place. Um, but it's really more than a slogan. It really does influence the way we think, and you'll hear as we, you know, engage in dialogue and conversations important challenges and questions, it comes up and comes through in our thinking of patients first. So as we're making this decision, how do we keep patients first? And if we have a choice to make, which option best delivers care for our patients? It doesn't solve all of your problems because sometimes it's not clear which decision is best and, and most keeps patients first, but mm-hmm. certainly anything that um, doesn't do that would would not be would not be desired. And, and what I've seen over over the years is that um, for people for whom that is not a, a real truth and it doesn't appeal, this really doesn't tend to be a good place for you to work. And people mm-hmm. tend to move on to someplace that better fits their goals. So I guess that comes back to what you were saying about culture. It's not just a culture of continuous improvement, but a culture of patients first. That's probably a bit of a, a filter in terms of hiring of, of who's attracted to the organization. And like you said, who feels the best fit and ends up staying. Yeah, I think that's for sure true. I think that the patients first gives us directionality to our improvement. So you could argue about, okay, what, what is improvement? What's better? Well, it depends on what your goals are. Patients first gives us that compass and continuous improvement gives us a method, a strategy, a path to better and better deliver on patients first. So I think the two very much go hand in hand. Um, Prior to us engaging in continuous improvement, I would say that, and in some cases this is still the case, we put patients first out there and our way to deliver on that promise is really, you know, we try very hard. So we try harder if we can't get what the patient needs or, you know, we, we exhaust ourselves, we work long hours, we, you know, create workarounds. Continuous improvement, I think, gives us a much more effective path to be able to deliver on that promise because it gives us some simple concepts, ways of thinking, ways to collaborate as a team, ways to be able to understand where our opportunities are. So it really kind of gives us a method that helps us keep patients first. Yeah, and uh, it sounds like, or it seems part of that balance, um, you know, if patients first doesn't mean patients only. So you're also taking <laughs> into account um, balance of um, taking care of staff, other stakeholders, and kind of finding the optimal approach. It's not, you know, it's certainly it never, it's never seemed like it's patients at the expense of everything else. But yeah. How, how do you find some of that balance or, um, you know, get staff Uh, needs involved in that discussion? Yeah, so I'd say a couple things. One is I think that we recognize that in order to keep patients first, we also have to take good care of our people because we need fantastic people to deliver care. This is healthcare, right? We need the people who deliver it. And so we have to have the best people. We have to take care of them well. We have to feel respected, engaged. We want them to bring their best to work every day. We want them to help 
make things better. Um, and so we uh, need to respect and engage them. So now we um, have kind of added to our patients first tagline, caregivers always. So in order to keep patients first, we always need to keep the needs of caregivers present. And in 2018, we uh, appointed a new CEO and he set out as, as our true North goals to be the best place to receive healthcare and the anywhere in the world and the best place to work in healthcare. So those are two um, you know, objectives that are held very tightly within partnership. And there's some things that you'll notice that, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. One thing that you'll notice is we use the word caregivers. We made a very deliberate shift to not call people employees and try to reduce the, the hierarchical divisions between physicians and nurses and people who have other roles like in IT or in finance or in operations. Um, really, we believe that we all have a role to play in making the patient's experience good. And yeah, so yeah, we yeah. are all working together to deliver care. We were all caregivers, which I think helps to elevate and create a, a tighter connection to the purpose of our work for, for many people. And I'll even catch myself when I'm dialoguing in other industries that I call their employees caregivers and I get funny looks and I have to explain who I'm talking about. Um, I'm not really used to using the word employees and it feels a little, um, clunky to me if I hear it or say that word. So you'll notice that whenever you talk with me, probably. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that reminds me of, um, you know, I think mindset and the words used um, by the late Paul O'Neill, who is, you know, the founder of um, Value Capture. We talk about him a lot um, in, in the podcast, but he always emphasized, you know, the idea that everybody um, need, needs to be respected and engaged and you know, he, uh, you know, he would ask, does the person cleaning the operating room receive as much respect as the surgeon and, and the rest of the team? Because, you know, everybody has, everyone's deserving of respect and everybody has a role to play, like you said, in the patient experience and in cleanliness and in outcomes in, uh, in different ways. So it's good to hear sort of, you know, similar, similar thoughts uh, from you. Yeah, I mean, I think that Paul O'Neill's thinking resonates, you know, very well with our way of thinking. Um, I think that, you know, probably like anyone, there's opportunity for us to improve. Um, one thing that every calling everybody a caregiver did was absolutely show respect for everybody's work and kind of emphasize that. And it also sets the tone for visitors, for patients, you know, when, you know, somebody from, you know, one of the less glamorous roles, walks into a patient's room and introduces themselves, they introduce themselves as a caregiver and they're a person with a name and, and they're here to provide care for the patient, whatever their specific tasks are that they accomplish. So that does that. I also think our culture of improvement does that because it really creates an expectation that everybody is involved in identifying problems. So the systems that we've put into place around problem solving, our tiered huddles, everybody has the responsibility and the ability to raise problems, do we, and, and a lot of times we can say that easily, but if we don't provide a very clear viable path that is, you know, yeah, go, you know, raise problems, improve things, good luck with that, uh, is very different from saying, okay, does every single person who is a part of this, this system, this operation, uh, have a very clear viable path that they actually use and it's expected that they use and, and they're supported when they use it. So I think a lot of the continuous improvement work does help us achieve the 
the things that Paul O'Neill was talking about, you'd be able to give good yeses to those to those three questions. And you know, another thing you said um, about aiming to be the best place to receive care, the best place to work. It reminds me of Mr. O'Neill talking about very aspirational goals of, you know, he, he told Alcoa, we're going to be the best in the world at everything we do, whether that's making aluminum or doing accounting and finance work and, and points in between. Um, you know, do, uh, how, how does an aspirational goal like that, um, you know, help inspire people or connect to the improvement work of not just trying to be better than a benchmark, but really striving to be the best? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I think that there is sort of a, you know, we get back to the culture. I think there is an underlying kind of culture of excellence. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, this expectation that there's an opportunity to make something better, we're going to do that. And I think there are multiple things that we've done or that we do typically that contribute to that. One of them is, um, you know, we get data back from the, you know, the world, that, you know, we are doing well. So, you know, you get quality rankings and you get the U.S. News and World Report rankings and you get, um, you know, this feedback that says, oh, you're, you know, you're good, you're doing well, you're very close, which I think kind of, you know, is generative, you know, you're doing really well. So you have this desire to do better. You want to be the best. You also have the recruitment of a lot of physicians who are top in their fields, top in the country, top in the world. Um, you know, they naturally bring, I think, a pusher and a charge to excellence. And a lot of them end up becoming, you know, leaders, uh, executives, you know, our, our CEO is certainly a good example of that as our, as our really all of our physician leaders um, are people like that. So I think that kind of bleeds over into our expectations and, and other areas. Um, it, it, it's sort of hard to put your finger on why exactly we do that. Um, one of the, I think, easy things to point to is that a, a patient is a customer that every one of us can identify with. Um, it's not a customer that seems foreign, different, you know, these are only these types of people or those types of people. You know, every single one of us is going to be a patient. So I, or has been, <laughs> or a loved one's going to be, or has been, and right. you know, there's, there's really no exception. So it does create this sort of inclusivity of kind of we're all in this together, but we're really doing it for ourselves, right? You know, we're self-insured, so we're providing our own health care, you know, just as we're providing other people's health care. So, so we care about it because we want to be good when we show up, when our loved ones show up. Um, and that also, I think, helps drive this, you know, push towards excellence or urge towards excellence. I also think that the leadership very much sets the tone and expectation. So, you know, we open our executive leadership meetings with discussion of quality and safety. You know, what safety event, you know, do we discuss a safety event with safety risks? So, you know, I think it's really hard to say you need, you want to be anything other than zero when it comes to safety uh, for our patients and for our caregivers. So I think it kind of comes through multiple multiple ways, but that you kind of on an ongoing basis provide information and cues that set this expectation that we want to be better and better. Um, and I'd say that it's it's pretty pretty pervasive. Um, I haven't met many. I'm trying to think if I've met any um, buddy in our organization. So right now our continuous improvement team has worked with about 20,000 caregivers. Um, and we haven't met any leaders or managers who say, Oh no, we're good enough. Um, 
you know, they might have different ideas about how they want to get better. And, you know, we can dialogue on that. But to somebody to say that really, you know, we're doing great, we're fine, we're good enough. Um, you don't really see that here. And I don't know, actually, Mark, I'd ask you if you see that in other places, or is this pursuit of excellence or pursuit of getting better and better, whatever that means for you within your work, is that consistent uh, in other places you visited? I, I think it varies um, because, you know, I think some organizations will, will talk about excellence as if they are already there. And there's a certain pride oh. <laughs> sometimes that that gets in the way of honestly admitting that we're not perfect, um, that there's still room for improvement. And I really you know, appreciate what you said about the, you know, the, the kind of the positive cycles of as you're getting better, I'm you know, paraphrasing, but momentum builds and people get even more excited about closing the increasingly small gap between where we are and, and an ideal, you know, theoretical limit of performance. But, you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, people do hang their hat on being in a certain decile, you know, compared to others. Um, there, you know, sometimes there is you know, kind of self-defeating mindset of like, well, these, these problems are meant to exist or they just, they, they, it's just, it's always been this way. So it always must be. And, you know, I think one thing, you know, uh, you know, Paul O'Neill, um, you know, would, would say that was inspiring to people is, you know, the idea of leaders, um, you know, not just setting aspirational goals, but working to remove excuses. And if mm. somebody says that improvement's not possible to question that, and, and, and ask, well, really, is it, is it not possible or have we not figured it out yet? And so I think there, there, there are different perspectives of, um, you know, people feeling you know, if, if we think something's not possible, then that's already set. If we think something's possible, it's not guaranteed. But, you know, I think we I, I, you know, I, I like to see when organizations um, are, are willing to push and to work at it and to challenge themselves. Even going back to Toyota, you know, people often talk about the word um, Kaizen and continuous improvement, but you know, the, the word challenge is often front and center when you visit Toyota and this idea that we've got to challenge ourselves and challenge each other. So it's, it's hard to generalize. Uh, you know, there, there's a range of different organizations and their mindsets out there. And even within an organization, sometimes you have pockets of you know a department where the culture is really strong um, in terms of continuous improvement when maybe it's not in the broader organization. Um, yeah, I think you raise a good point. Like, are we good enough? We're already excellent. You know, should we are are we resting on our laurels? Um, I would say that we are not. In, I mean, I think in general, you know, of course, it's a big organization. There are sixty-seven thousand caregivers. Um, so I can't say that there are no pockets of that or no areas sure. of that. I will yeah. say that the continuous improvement methodology has in some ways really challenged that. And I have just a few weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago, I was you know, asked to engage in a project that um, I was told was something that we've tried to improve for eight years. Um, so just to give you a sense of like, we think something's not possible or not solvable, there's something there that we wanted to make better for eight years. And we've had lots of different people and runs at it. And, um, you know, still, let's, <laughs> let's try to push on this some more, because we still really believe that we can make it better. And when you look at healthcare globally, 
you know, it's really hard to say that we're good enough. If you look kind of at the costs and the rate of quality and safety opportunities, you know, of safety events and the, the quality data from, from American healthcare, it's kind of hard for any of us to really say to rest on our laurels. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think we also have this broad responsibility that says, you know, even if we can figure this out um, within our department, within our unit, within one of our hospitals, you know, because of the nature of healthcare, we have a responsibility to, to share that with others, right? If we figured out how to do it well, we can't just sit there and say, well, we're absolutely the best at, you know, replacing aortic valves. Um, it's our really our duty and our responsibility to help others you know, learn from what we've learned and also learn from what they've learned, because the reality is we're we're really still not good enough. Mm -hmm. So maybe one other thing we can explore a little bit, um, you know, that you you mentioned earlier was the idea of tiered huddles. And, you know, you mentioned starting huddles, executive meetings, um, the the, the huddles at all levels, starting with safety and quality. So I wonder if you could explain a little bit about how those tiered huddles are designed and how they work. Yeah, so um, tiered daily huddles is something that occurs every day at all levels of the organization. They start with the tier one, which is closest to the patient. That would be the bedside nurse or the, you know, bedside pharmacist, the person who's closest to the um, to the patient, to the bedside. Uh, and the first tier huddle is with that team and their manager. Then those managers who are peers come together and huddle with their director. Then the directors who are peers come together and huddle with, you know, whoever their leader is. And there are six layers of huddles that tier. So the information cascades in a very uh, timed and um, successive way to the tier six huddle. And the tier six huddle is run by our CEO Mm -hmm. and our executive team members. those huddles are structured with a standard agenda and the first uh, item on everybody's agenda is safety. So we have um, four commitments, um, caring for our patients, caring for our caregivers, caring for our organization and caring for our community. So the structure of the agenda for every huddle is based on that. Now what those specific items are, are probably gonna vary with what your specific work is, but you know, safety is always our first uh, topic. Are there any serious safety events? one or potential serious safety events. They have to go through a review to see if they are classified as a serious safety event, but potential serious safety events. Um, And then caring for patients, uh, caring for caregivers. So, you know, do we have any safety events at all for patients that we identified? How's the quality of care? Do we miss any opportunities to deliver high quality care? And then caring for our caregivers, Um, you know, any caregiver safety issues or concerns. Uh, and then we move on to caring for the organization, which would be more, you know, volume statistics. Do we have appropriate staffing? Things like that. Uh, and then caring for the community is something that doesn't typically show up on a daily basis because that happens typically over a longer time horizon. But that's the standard agenda. And that information uh, flows in a consistent, structured way throughout the organization. And really, the idea is that we bring forth problems, information, opportunities that we can then solve within that huddle, or we escalate to the next tier if we need to convey information, if we need help, if we have to ask a question, you know, for whatever reason, and and the information flows then in all directions. So we can very rapidly communicate while at the same time fostering this environment of, yeah, we want to know about problems, we want to talk about them. And so we did do a lot of coaching and training of our leaders when we started to say, 
when somebody brings you a problem, you can respond in a way that says, thank you. I'm so glad you did that. That's really important and, and honors and respects it. Or you can do it in a way that says, I'd really rather you not bring that up the next time because I'm tired, I'm busy, I'm not happy about it, whatever. So kind of working through some of those things. And um, and that's been a powerful system for us to, to drive improvement and foster the, you know, the culture and also the behaviors that we need to support. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the, those remind me of, you know, core lean principles of the idea of, you know, you can't do problem solving if you don't know what the problems are. And you, if you don't create an environment. Yeah. Safe. It was actually kind of fun at the beginning. I think a lot of our operational leaders felt like and said that they felt like they already had a good sense of what the problems were prior to implementing tier daily huddles. And then after a couple of weeks of running it, they said, oh, you know, like there's a lot more going on. Just opening the opening the door to say what are what is going on today uh, gave them a whole new view of what that was. And, and then they also responded that they were able to solve problems much more quickly because it was on a daily basis. We were talking about it, same people, same time every day, and focused on solving problems. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, I think of you know other connections. You know, patients first. It reminds me of you know, the, the, the lean, uh, idea of customer focus and, mm-hmm. you know, this, this emphasis on safety and quality, you know, is this, this lean notion of safety is a precondition for, for everything that we do. And, um, you know, I've always been impressed of, you know, with, um, how strong that, that orientation, that mantra is when I've had the chance to visit you there at Cleveland Clinic. Thanks. <laughs> I can't take credit for it. It was <laughs> it was largely there when I got there. And I think what we've done is try to, you know, try to improve it sure. right? in the spirit of, of excellence, try to make it better and better. But I mean, I think that's the type of environment that we all would want to be a part of. So it's good to be proud of that. I, yeah, I didn't think you were taking credit for it. So. <laughs> okay, that's our hope. That's fine. Um, so maybe, you know, the final question to wrap things up a little bit, you know, we, we um, you know, we call the podcast habitual excellence, because that was a very important, you know, I think powerful phrase um, from Paul O'Neill. Um, so, you know, I'm curious, what, what are your reflections on what that phrase habitual excellence means and, and how does it connect to what you're doing there at Cleveland Clinic? That's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, it, the phrase itself is really about you know, are you doing this in the best way that you can, you know, every single day? I mean, habitual to me is like every single time you engage. And, you know, that could range anywhere from, you know, when I'm doing my clinical work. So I'm, I'm looking at a patient specimen, you know, am I giving this, you know, is this my best absolute work? Or is this something that I'm just hurrying and trying to rush through because I've got, you know, something else going on or because I'm tired or, or, or whatever. But I think that can also go through every single conversation I have. So when I'm dialoguing with, you know, somebody on my team or somebody on another team, or even just walking through the hallways, you know, what is the, the, you know, what is my excellent, you know, for me, I envision myself as a leader, as a physician, as a, you know, a caregiver, teammate. Um, what's the most excellent way that I can navigate those things. And I like, you know, Paul's questions because I think it helps me kind of reflect on the way that I'm acting and is it creating this environment, right? So am I treating everyone with dignity, with respect? Do I know that my, you know, I don't even know what my team needs in terms of education, training, 
tools? And do they know it's appreciated by somebody they care about, which is sort of, do they know I appreciate them, but am I the type of leader that they care if I appreciate them or not? Um, you know, and how do I make sure that that's happening or not? So I think that they're really very kind of leadership focused. And I think you could also say, you could also apply his thinking more broadly across society. Um, you know, work is a huge Part of my life. I think that's true of many of us. But you know, when you think about, you know, when you're at home or you go to the grocery store, you know, are you also living by these you know, values? Are we treating everybody with respect to, you know, standing in line at the grocery store? Or is it between me and the, you know, the item I want on the shelf? Or, right. um, you know, and does everybody have has everybody had the opportunity to have what they need to do their job or to do a good job? Um, or has everybody had the opportunity to do work that feels meaningful to them and appreciated for? And if not, you know, maybe that gives us a little bit more insight and helps us ourselves treat people with dignity and respect and, and gives us some, I think, important questions that we can answer about maybe our society at large. That's great thought starter for uh yeah for those of you know for for us to reflect on now is you know during these times when anxieties are high and and there are people doing um critical work and sometimes being put in harm's way so the reminder to to show appreciation and uh for for that is uh yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you and, and I think when people are fearful, which there's a lot of now uh, intentions are on high, it's not, it, it, that can get in the way of, mm-hmm. of behaving in that way. Yeah. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for um, your thoughts and reflections today. Thank you for sharing um, what you're working on there at Cleveland Clinic. So I, again, our guest has been Dr. Lisa Yerian. She's the chief improvement officer at Cleveland Clinic. Um, Lisa, I know um, maybe one other thing, um, there, there's a website for the Cleveland Clinic improvement model that, that people might be interested if you can tell them where they can find more about the work you're doing there and how it's structured. Yep. So the website for the model is www.clevelandclinic.org backslash improve. Um, and we also have an email address that's improve at ccf.org ccf is in frank.org. Um, and so the you can uh, see the model, download the model. Uh, there's a PDF downloadable at the website, or you can email us for more information and, and, uh, and we'll get back to you with anything you need. Okay, great. Well, Lisa, thanks again. And thank, thanks, thanks so much, this. Mark. Always a pleasure. Yeah, likewise, be well. Thanks, you too. Enjoy the sunshine. <laughs> thanks for listening to Habitual Excellence presented by Value Capture. We hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and please also rate and review it in your favorite podcast directory or app. To learn more about Value Capture and how we can help your organization on this journey to habitual excellence, visit our website at www.valuecapturellc.com.